Hey everybody, welcome to season two, episode 17 of the hard truth inside the football industry. It's uh, with me, Philip Eidson, and with Darren McAnthony, chairman and co-owner and El Presidente of uh, English Championship side Peterborough United. Darry, you had another tough week this week. You were at Forest. Yeah, it's a good word, another. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, to be fair, um, probably one of the most enjoyable 55 minutes do you know the worst part is you, you say it like really good against Stoke didn't win, really good against Middlesbrough didn't win, and on Saturday we we the manager went back to diamonds and um, and I understood why because we've we've got the personnel to play it. You know we didn't have it last season, but in midfield you you, you need good players. You know in midfield to play that you have to be brave in the ball, you have to have a pass and keep it technically good. Not sure we got the strikers at the moment for, but you need real pace. You know what I mean in behind when you play with a, a diamond four, but. Um, probably from the eighth minute to the f- uh, to just inside the second half, we were superb. We controlled and dominated the game. Um, you know, Forrest didn't have a kick, and you're looking at it. And then we had some. We had we had a, we had a chance. You know, first half George Grant goes through and goal, and you just want him to put his fucking laces through it. And he tries to lob a six foot five fucking goalkeeper from eight yards. So decisions like that just fucking just exasperates everything. Then in the second half, early on. For once, without the diamond passing, the goalie's gone long. Jono's knocked it on. Then Bellet's kind of one on one, lobs the keeper and hits the fucking post. You know, and and it, the last four, definitely the last five six games, we've missed some fucking absolute sitters. I mean, sitters, not even difficult chances. If you if you go back to the Fulham game, you know, and and it's the same players really have missed a lot of the chances. When you look at it, we've had chances to score. We're not people say we haven't scored for five games and it's one and seven and it's really. But boy, oh boy, we have created some fucking real good chances. Now, the disappointing thing would be the diamond worked really well to a point where we then let ourselves down. When you play with a diamond, your fullbacks have to have real good quality in the final third. Um, you know, because you're getting them into spots where they're going to put balls in the box. And two things throughout the game. Our fullbacks, final ball, fucking awful, both sides. Uh, it would hit a forest defender. It wouldn't find a Peterborough person. And second to that, not enough Peterborough players in the box. Um, so two good chances in the whole game, and you're not winning football games, creating two good chances in the whole game. So there's, there's so much that's letting us down at the moment, that quality. And then the thing that's killing us the most, I, I would love to go 90 minutes without us being fucking stupid. and just. I would like all 11 players to have 90 minutes where they just don't make stupid mistakes. And, you know, at the back, we're looking really comfortable. Josh Knight's forging a nice relationship with Ronnie Edwards. And you're thinking they look strong, they look good, clean sheet last game. You're an hour into the game, clean sheet again. They're very, you know, they're not very troubled. And then Josh makes a big run, fair play, gets on the edge of the box. You're playing in a game with a referee, and this is where our players have to stop being dumb. This referee is not giving anything for them, and he's not giving anything for us. So I've got no problems with a ref who doesn't do it either way. He's not giving shit. And Josh has either got a shoot or a pass to the fullback to the right. And of course, he's trying to buy a penalty. And again, judge the referee. He's even if the guy cut your leg off, he's not given the penalty. And they break and they score. He's out of position. They pretty much score on where he would have been. And you're one 0 down, and you can just see it in the players. It's deflation. You know, again, you played so well, you got to a point, you're one 0 down, and then late in the game, not only the 85th minute, they have a corner. Uh, I think our fullback, uh, our left back, doesn't win the ball at the front post to clear it, goes through him. Our central midfielder doesn't mark his man. You know, he's trying to scream for a foul. The ref's not going to give you a foul. Stop the fucking guy, get across you. And it hits the guy in the chest and goes in. I'd love to see us score one of them. We don't see him to because we're not in those positions. And, and, and then it's game over and you got it because you're like, well, actually, we were really good. Was that a 2-0 game for Forrest? No. Was it fuck? Um, but we stopped playing in the second half for whatever reason we went long, you know, and, and, and that wasn't from the manager because I know how happy he was, you know, how we were in the first half. That's on the players. They just stopped playing and you have to be brave and you have to keep playing. And, and if we played the first half, the second half, the same and gone ahead, we win the game. And that's where we're just, and we can all argue about personnel, players and recruitment and more players in January and this or whatever else, but you need 11 players to go out and play a game where they just don't make a fucking mistake that leads to a goal. Sure, okay, you're going to in a game pass to somebody five yards away in midfield or you're going to overhit a ball into touch. But every time we seem to make, and I call them stupid mistakes, like what I'm just saying there, trying to win a penalty against the ref who's never given one, um, those stupid mistakes are leading to goals. 
And until our players look at this and look at themselves and go, I don't give a fuck what level you're at, sometimes you have to play a faultless game and dig a result out. And we need our players to play a faultless game. And at the moment, it's not happening for them. So, yeah, it's dark clouds because of the results. It's dark clouds because we're not scoring goals. You know, all those things are there and they're there to be seen. So what do you do? You get back on the horse and you keep going. And, you, you know, seeing the style and the way we played, you know, we've got some good footballers in our team. But we need these players now to start scoring goals. We need these players to dig a result there. So because you, you can't go, Peter versus United side, not one that I, you know, own, can't go five games without scoring a goal. That's fucking ridiculous. I don't give a fuck if you're losing four fucking two. But to not score goals and, and not to, to not, you know, it's almost you're giving the away. Every time you play a team, you're giving them an advantage. They're looking at us going, oh, they don't score any goals. Whereas in the past, it would be, well, Peter would score goals. So we yeah, they're going to hurt us. So you play, they're playing on the back foot a little bit more. Yeah, they've got a threat. They're always diced. And that is the psychological side. Right now, teams are looking at us going, fucking, they're shite from the goal. And they're shite at fucking stopping goals. So, you know, our players have to stop that. Look, we need to win through, you know, a couple of games this month. We need to give ourselves a chance. And, you know, and, and then go on a massive run in the final 23 games. But we need to give ourselves a platform. So, you know, that's down to the manager, the players, the, the staff, everybody. We've got to do better. And, you know, and we've got to do better on things like, you know, Phil, crossing the ball. I mean, fucking hell, it's bread and butter, you know what I mean? It's nothing that drives you crazy more than a fullback hit in the first round. Absolutely. And it happened over. It was just a lack of quality. And I know some will listen to this and probably some of my players listen to it and go, you're being harsh. Well, no, not really. Your job when you're playing a diamond as a fullback is is not just to defend, it's to have quality in the final third. Because how are we going to create chances if you don't have qualities? Um, you know, and, and we put them in some good positions on Saturday. And it was just every fucking time a Forest player found a ball. It was the quality of the ball across. It just wasn't good enough. So that's on the... And if a player is listening to this, yeah, well, actually, look in the mirror. You know, if you're four or five times in the opposition's the final third in a position to put a ball into a Johnson, Clark, Harris, or whoever else, one of them has got to find the fucking slot because Forrest player on the breakaway found a slot at the back post. You know what I mean? So you, you, he's done his job, you know, and it's led to a goal. So, you know, you have to do better. Um, so that, that that's hurting us. Um, and like I said to you, players just like you know, making stupid decisions, you know, at key moments. Again, like don't make those decisions. Stop, you know. I guess it comes down to three words. Do your job. Do your job. You know, and, and and that would describe us at the moment is we're not doing our job. Do your job. Individually, collectively, do your job. What do you make about formation changes? I have no problem with a formation. I, I had no problem with a formation change. I, I absolutely, you know, was behind that on Saturday. We've been absolute pants away from home. We've pretty much lost every away game. You know, bar hull, we've lost 10. Um, you know, we're getting battered in some games because you go 1-0 down and the white flag's out. So we're not creating chances. You know, the idea with a diamond is, is you get control of the game, you create chances. Dembele and Jono, you want to create chances for them. Could we do with a bit more pace to run in behind? Of course, but we don't have that at the moment. So, okay, you, you work on what you've got. So we've created two great chances in the game and George Grant and, and Dembele have to score. They don't. They actually don't make the goalkeeper really do any work, and that's even more frustrating. So um, I had no problem. I thought the formation change worked really well. I thought the back four, again, if you look at it defensively, clean sheet the game before, you know, bar a stupid corner, bar the breakaway because of what happened on the edge. of the, You know, they, they've defended well. So, again, it's frustrating. So you're thinking, geez, even if you walk out there with another nil-nil, you're going, okay, that's two back-to-back clean sheets. Now you've got a defensive platform. But, no, we shoot ourselves in the fucking nuts again, and it's, you know, back to square one. So. I don't care what formation players get picked on. Do your job. You know, if you're asked to play four diamond two, play play it well. If you're asked to play four two three one, play it well. If you're asked to play three at the back with wing back, play it well. Everyone needs to know the role. And if you're a wing back, your role is to get forward and get back and stop goals and create goals. You know, if you're in a diamond, the, the whole idea is you're four in the middle, control the game, and they protect the fullbacks. And, you know, that's key. And you keep rotating and moving the football and you try and get in behind. If you're playing, if you're a front two on a Peterborough team at the moment, break your ass and get in the fucking box. But when you're in the box, don't be stagnant. Fucking move around and attack in the box. Yeah, just wait for it. No, because if you highlight a lot of our games at the moment, you know, there's, A, there's not enough that's in the box. And D, the ones that are in the box are like statues. That, you, know, you know, you could fucking mark them. So, you, you, you know, have a bit about you. 
and, and again, sometimes it's as simple as football as is. You must outrun the opposition. You know, if you look at the, the goal forest score for the first one, we're not breaking our ass to get back. No, that's the most frustrating thing when you see some of those when you're on the encounter and you've got midfielders just kind of jogging back into position. Yeah, even the people who make the mistake, you know, and the people around them get up and fucking run like a sprinter. You know, break your ass to do it, you know. A corner. You know, if a team has a corner, you know, what's your job? Don't you let the don't you let the ball go past you if it's near you, and don't let your man run past you either. Just do your job, you know. And, and again, too many players aren't doing their jobs. So that that's it. That's what it comes. In. Sometimes football can be a simple game, and it comes down to outrun the opposition, outwork the player next to you, beat the man in front of you, and do your job, and don't make mistakes. So you, you, you know, it's the bare basics. So I give a fuck what formation we play on Saturday. We have to win the game. You back at home. Yeah, we're back at home and that's great. But, you know, and that's meant to be our saving grace. But we haven't been picking up the wins at home recently either. So we have to change that. We have to win on Saturday. And you win there and you go, okay, you know, now we go into the week before Christmas and we've got to go get an away result. So, you know, we have to give our fans something. And our fans have been fantastic. They don't deserve this. So that, that that's down to the players now, individually and collectively, to do that. So let's see what they do on Saturday. Mm-hmm. I don't think any of them are waving the white flag. I just think they're frustrated. I think they're playing within themselves. I think there's... You know, when when times are tough and things go against you, you're not as brave as you want to be. And that's human nature. That's fine. I get that. We're all human beings. We, we, we're down on our luck. We feel like the world's kicking us in the bollocks. Um, normal stuff. But sometimes you have to, like, be resolute. You have to, like, dig in. You have to, I've said this before, go to places you've never been, you know, and, uh, 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 and overcome all of it. And it can be done. We're not talking about a 20-point deficit here. So, you know, this is nothing three, four wins like Hull have done can change everything. Yeah, and as Newcastle and Norwich have shown in the Premier League. Absolutely. You know, it doesn't seem like two or three weeks ago we were talking about how many points adrift they were and all of a sudden it's three points in it. Absolutely. Football's funny. You can be awful, you look like not scoring, you look like you can't buy a win, and then you win two, three games on the spin and you feel like you're invincible. That's football. So, you know, our players have to really, you know, give us a, pl- a platform and a springboard to go into January where we can get them some help. You know, and, and and again, you know, we've got to change our own look off the pitch because, you know, Paku's played in the under-23s. He's absolutely been phenomenal. He scored two goals the other day in a win over Everton. One of the goals was like Messi. He went around six players and dispatched it in the top corner. And he's showing what we bought him, what a quality player he's going to be. Then he breaks his fucking hand in the game. And he's got a cast on as long as my dick. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, so we would like address that today. Well, hang on, it's a broken fucking hand or a fractured hand. So... Let's wrap that fucker up. And I'm watching players in the NFL who blew their fingers off on Halloween playing three weeks later with a giant glove. So, so you, you, you know, we need, and, and this isn't the boy who doesn't want to play, you know, this is the medical staff and doctors and fucking, you know, wrap that fucker up and get out there and play. We're not asking you to use your hands. So, so we, we need players like him now as a shining light looking towards January going, it's time for some of these now to step up. You know, Joel Randall gets COVID. You know, he's been injured. He's missed time. He's finally come back. He's training again, and he gets fucking COVID. And it's like, my, and it's not on him. Do you know what I mean? He's got COVID. And it's just like, Jesus Christ almighty. You know, Ricky, who we've been missing since August, you know, he's coming back. He's looking brilliant. The reports are great. He's, his, his runs, everything, his fitness, and he does his hip. And he's out for three. You know, the, we need these players available. We need them back and available. We, we, we can't carry any more injury shite. You know, we need these players now. If we're going we're gonna to make a good fist of this in the second half of the season, Chitty those players because of the pace and, and what they can bring against tired legs. We need them fighting fit. We need them fit for the full last second half of the season. Because I promise you, I promise you, they will play a part and they can make a difference. What's the latest on uh, Jack Marriott? When's he due back? He's, he, he's flying. He's flying. He's flying. He's, he's, he's ahead of schedule. He's flying. Some of them thought he wouldn't be back this season. Um, you know, there's a real... He, he wants to play in January. You know, he's, he's on the running machine, he's flying. So everything's gone really well because of the nature of the injury where it was. You know, it, it, the real frustrating thing is it, it, him and Ricky Jage in a diamond, feeding them in behind, fucking, it, it would work a treat. Because you'd have four midfielders with two strikers who could make runs all day long off the shoulder and get in behind. You would shit up opposition defenders. A fully fit Randall could play at the top of a diamond with a quality on both feet. You've seen that yourself. Yeah, you know, I know some of our fans are laughing and thinking, oh, Same with Poku as well. Kwame Poku tore up week two. I mean, he, he's a quality Poku, player. Right, he's 20. So yeah. he could play behind a, a fast striker. You know, we have players who can hurt teams, but they're not fit and they're not available. 
Um, you, you know, so again, it's just it's, it's frustrating. So it was great watching the 23s win. And, you know, and we again, we have another young striker in the 23s. He's not available till January because of how late we brought him in. And he's, he's quicker than Ricky. And again, that pace sometimes, second out of the season, tired legs, you know, wet pitches. You know, we want to play and we want to go past and in behind. You need pace. So the, as much as it's all doom and gloom, the promising thing is this. 23s beat Everton. I think we're top of our group in a, in a group with Everton, Sheffield United and Burnley in the under-23 cup. Um, really, really high standard. They beat Everton 3-0 at Everton. Our under-18s went to Derby, a very highly rated Cat 1, Cat A uh, Derby side, and absolutely deserved to win. We won 1-0. We, we, we have a front two on our under-18 team. They're the best pressers I've ever seen of a ball. Both of them are rapid, and all they do is press. And sometimes like you, you watch the game and you go, my God, I wish we could press like that in our first team. Because as good as Derby were technically, every time they attacked us, they shit themselves because our front two pressed them and got in behind them all, all day long. Our front two must have had like two, three one-on-ones each because they kept getting in behind. They kept running the channels. They kept pressing them high up the pitch. And even though Derby will say, well, like, we had the better chances. It should have been three or four now. Absolutely brilliant. Under-18 team. And they're not even our best age group. Our 15s and 16s are the best age group. So, you know, because the 18s have come later on after the Cat 2 status was given us. So, um, that's already promising. And, and, you know, the players I'm talking about in the 23s, and I know a lot of our fans are going, oh, they can't do in the championship and there's too much to opinion. No, this is this is a big part. You know, the Pokus, the Randalls, the Ricky J. Jones, you know, the the players in the 23s, they, they're going to be some players. And, you know, well, we need it now. We're not that far away. Just think even next summer, how good these players are going to be for our, our team. So, you, you, you know, it's frustrating. I want them available. The manager wants them. He needs them available. You know, so... It is what it is. Um, we are where we are. And now we have to, what is available, has to go out and win and dig us out. And we've got a lot of good football players and they're just playing well below the standards. Um, now, off the field, you wrote something on Twitter this week that I was interested about. Um, just getting some feedback from fans around, I think it was a bond issuance, uh, the potential of a bond issuance. Can you talk a little bit about kind of how a bond works and what the thinking is in terms of what you could do with that? So think of it like this. A lot of people, how do you invest your money if you've got spare money? What do you do? You just leave it in the bank, get interest on it? Yeah, bank, carbon, stocks. Right, stocks. So so I play the stock market and I play the bond market. So sometimes I'll buy bonds and they can be government bonds. They can be private company bonds. And a bond is, it usually has a term limit on it. So for example, you can buy, I think, government bonds, which give you one and a half, one point seven percent 1.7% on your money. So if you've got a hundred grand in the bank or in these bonds, you make 1,700 quid a year. And it could be five years. And after five years, you get your money back. And obviously, you've had all the interest and whatever else. Yeah. Um, it's the same it's, it's the same type of process. And I don't want to, you know, make any mistakes here. So I'm not going to be perfectly correct. You'll read all the terms and conditions when we do it. Don't take this as investment advice, et cetera, et cetera. No, ex- exactly. But it's a way of making people earn money. It's something they enjoy and, and, and feel affiliated to. And if you go back to Norwich a few years ago, Norwich raised about five, six million to redo their training ground and their academy. And when they got to the Premier League, they paid all the money back, but they gave all the, the people who put the money in, I believe they got a yearly return on the money. So we're not asking you for a loan of money. We're not asking you for any money as regards to you're not getting anything back. What you're going to get is you're going to get a percentage on your money each year, and then you're going to get your money back at the end of the bond. And that's all on the football club. So we came up with the idea, and we were a few weeks ago interviewing CEOs. We were looking at, you know, we always come up with some great ideas. I put together with the guys a, a document of six great ideas, things we want to improve, things we want to do. And we were like, look, the, the new stadium could be a bit further afield than we want because of all the politics involved, the, 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 the permissions and people after us who are into the environment, all that stuff. So we were like, okay, what do we need to do with our ground? Because our ground's a bit of a, you know, it's an old ground and we could do with some upgrades. So we need a new stand because we're running out of the exemption on the current stands. Even if we're in the champ, not in the champ, we need to do something with that stand. So that's going to probably cost us, you know, a lot of money to get that stand done and turn into, I think we're allowed 1,800 seats or safe standing seats. So there's that. We need a restaurant. We need better facilities for our, for our loyal fan base. We need to, there's improvements we need to make. Or now we've bought the ground. There's certain improvements we need to make. You know, and then people will go, why don't you put your own money in? Well, we're putting our own money in anyway to try and do well in the champ and recruit players. The champ hasn't made us break even. We still have to put in a couple of million on top of that. So, you know, to do what we do. So what we thought was, well, what if we raise some money like what Norwich did? Lincoln have done it really well. A few other clubs have done bonds. What if we went professional and did a specific bond, you know, with a, with a target amount 
with X amount return per year for the clients and then their money back after X amount of years. Um, what have we got the fans involved? So they would feel part of it. And not only part of it and help with the facilities, they actually get a nice return on their doubt. So whether it's 5%, 6%, 7%, whatever it might be, if you've got 50 grand, 10 grand, 1,000 pounds, 500 quid, you want to earn a few quid on your money, your money sat there doing nothing because I think the bank rates are like less than 1%. If you're not really into investing in stocks and you don't want to take much of a risk because stocks are really risky, at least with the bonds, you're getting your return and you're getting your money back because the, you know, the bond itself is on the club and, and you know, we're not going to shaft our supporters and, you know, we can't pay a few million back to supporters on a bond. We may, may as well not be in business. So this isn't about, you know, we desperately need the money. This is about, well, this is a project really juicy and exciting and at the same time improve all the facilities. And that leaves us then to, to put money in to get more transfers in in January and plan next summer. So that was the whole idea behind the bond. Um, Randy and Jason, obviously, this is their kind of neck of the woods. So they've engaged also a company. There's a company that's done it. I think it was QPR and a couple of other clubs. They're going to put a whole presentation together. So we'll have something on that released quite soon. We have a target amount. I can't remember what the target amount is, whether it's 2 million, 3 million or whatever it might be. But it'll be a target amount. I think if you don't reach the target amount, you give the money back to the clients. I, I think we will reach it because the returns are good for clients. Stevenage, I think, did one as well for, for one of their stands, I believe. Um, so, again, that, that's all it was. I think it's a really good idea. It's been put out there by Randy. Obviously, I retweeted it. A few fans have said, really love the idea of this. It doesn't just need to be Peterborough fans. It could be anybody who's looking to earn some money. And right now, you're not getting a lot of money off the bank. So, you know, you could be somebody sitting on a nice wedge of money and it's, it, this is, I won't say the words easy money, but it's, it is easy money because you, you, you're going to get a healthy return on your dough and you get your dough back. So, yeah, so that's just one of the things we're doing. We're doing a few other things as well behind the scenes. We've got obviously the dome is, is, is now that the ground, the, the whole pitch has been laid. Now that structure takes place. Listen, there's a lot of really, the really frustrating thing is, it's a real kick in the nuts, the first team results, because the 18s are doing great. The 23s are doing great. The Dome is about to happen. Cat 2 status. Um, Posh Plus has launched, where we got away from my follow, and we now have our own system, you know what I mean? And that's only going to get better. You know, it's, it's frustrating, because 99% of everything else is going really, really well. And probably the most important 1% is the one that's kicking us in the nuts at the moment. It's like you need that bridge. You need to figure out that bridge, you know, over the next few yeah, months, exactly. You know, but but no, it's um, yeah. So really, really exciting. I'm I'm going over next week. Um, looking forward to that, and you know, spend a lot of time with Barry and the manager. We've already been talking and again this morning, and you know, we know the three four players we want. You know, we know we have to move on. We know there's going to be players transfer listed, so we we have to do some clever business. Not sure January is going to be overly busy for everyone, but we have to do as best we can. You know, and 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 navigate. You know, and, and and that's important. Now, as you're doing that, and let's just assume that part of that may involve the loan market. When you go into mm -hmm. a loan market, like how do you, is there a trick to getting players who will play like they're your player versus a player who will play like they're here for, you know, a few games and a bit of a shop window? Really, really, really difficult. Really difficult. We, you know, our, our recent experiences have been okay. We had Sammy came a couple of years ago. He was brilliant. That was down to the character. He was on loan from Bristol City. Brownie came from Huddersfield. Brilliant on loan. Um, it, it's always, it's all, yeah, Josh Knight came on loan, did really well. Ben White, you know. But then again, I could name four or five that came on loan and were fucking awful. So it, it, it's always really, really difficult. I'm not a massive fan of the loan market, but because of where we are and what we're doing, we're lacking in massive transfer funds, you know. But if we do put out, we will bring in. So, you know, if we suddenly do bring in some good money from sales, we might go away from the loans and go get perms. Now, some of the players we want in perms aren't going to be available for the summer. So that's why you kind of go, well, you know, I kind of want to wait six months for that player. So we'll have to go and get a loan. Um, and there are, and, and, and going down that, you know, route from the Prem, some of those players, you know, sometimes it's hit and miss, but some clubs have done it really well. So I guess, you know, the, the football gods are either going to be with us or against us in January based on some of the signings. And, I'll take it in the neck as usual if it doesn't work. So, um, you, you, you know, look, the manager's good on that front. I'm not an expert on the 23s and the 21s and the Prem players and the youngsters. You know, my my scouts don't get as much access to those games. Um, so it's usually Baz and the manager who give me those names and give us those names to go with and uh, back their judgment. And, you know, we, we go from there. So um, the, the ones we bring in permanently, that's easier. We're all involved in that and we know those players. But the Prem loans, I, I can't put my hat in it and go, oh, 
guaranteed to be brilliant, whether they're from Chelsea, Liverpool, Man United, Man City, there's no guarantee. It's geography. It's a youngster gone out on loan. It's the level. It's it's tough, you know. Sometimes they take it like a duck to water. Sometimes it just doesn't go well. So uh, I, I guess watch this space. How much due diligence are you able to do on them? It's tough. We, 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 you know, the manager can go to a couple of under 23 games. You can get in behind closed doors. You can see some. Some clubs give you a player for a week or two. A lot of them don't when you're bringing them to the champ and the prem. Um, we make phone calls. You know, I did it in the summer when, when the West Ham boy's name was given to me. I, you know, I spoke to Jack Collison, spoke to a few people around the, the scenes and the Irish scene. You try and do your due diligence as best you can. Um, you know, we had a couple of preseason friendlies. We were able to go see him in, in the summer. This time it's going to be. There are a couple right now, and we've seen a couple of games on the 20. The real problem is, Phil, the under-23 games, when you watch sometimes, the, particularly in the Premier League, the lack of physical, it isn't the championship. So I could be watching two wing-backs, and they look like Roberto Carlos, you know, and, 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 and you know they look like the best wing-backs, full-backs you've ever seen in your fucking life. But they're playing against teams. There's no crowds. There's no atmosphere. They're playing against teams and probably don't barely raise a tackle. It's it's really really difficult to judge. Put that in a championship environment with twenty eight thousand people at the Forest City Ground, you know, with with really good fullbacks on the other side stopping them. It's it's difficult. It's really difficult. Um, so I guess we'll watch this, but like I say, watch the space over the next few weeks. That's all we um, can do. That's all we can do. You know, the one thing actually in the news this week around loans, which was interesting, was Man United now reportedly looking at sending youngsters out on week long work experiences versus long term loans. What do you make of that practice? I think any any time a Premier League club's trying to improve the process, and I think any time, as long as they're not asking, you know, football league clubs to pay the bill, you know, stick someone in a hotel for a week just to train with them. I think anything, look, if Man United came to us and said, we have two fabulous wingbacks or fullbacks and, and we want them to come to you on loan. And I keep saying fullbacks, let's say two central midfielders, and we want them to come to you on loan, take them for two weeks to look at. I, I think my manager would welcome that with open arms. There are a lot of clubs who feel it's like snobby. Like, why would I send a player to Peterborough to, to, to train for a week? You know, I'm the biggest club in the world. Well, actually, large percentage of youngsters don't make the grade in the Prem. So sometimes you have to do that. So I, I, you know, applaud Man United for taking that strategy, a different one. And, and I would applaud them even more if they then say to the club, listen, we don't want any money, just play them. That'd be the next thing. Because my experience at United, even going back to the days under Fergie when he was my manager's dad, United were asking us 50 grand loan fees. There's no friends and family rate. <laughs> Everyone used to think there was, and there was a reason I didn't really get a lot of Man United players, because there wasn't. So, you, you, you know, and that's not a slight in Sir Alex. He had bosses to answer to. Yeah. So why would United do differently for Peterborough just because his son was here? They couldn't. So it was always 50 grand and full wages. And it was like, you know, it was nearly impossible, you know, to be able to afford that, you know. So um, – if they've changed that now, and it's been a while since we've had a United player at us, if they're in a position where they let you take a look at players and they're going to pay their wages because they're going to play 20 championship games in the second half of the season, which is invaluable to the improvement in their players. Hey, we're, we're all for that, of course. Absolutely. I've always said that. Always always been behind it. What about on the flip side? So one of the things that's interesting to me, it was it seemed unusual. So this is back in the day when Ollie McBurney was still, um, you know, in the youth team at Bradford. He went actually went on a week's work experience to Man United to play in, I think, what was the Milk Cup final. I'm not sure what it's called right now, but it was the Youth Cup final. Got a hat-trick, came back. It was always really strange that they'd be taking a work experience kid and putting him in a cup final. Is that something that still goes on, kind of behind the scenes? Barry did that with loads of players. We had Edrington and Davies who went to Tottenham, I think, maybe. You know, but they were playing in the team at the time as well. He'd sent Luke Steele. Um, you know, when you're a club who needs to raise money and you're out and out, you know, down in your luck and you need, you'd send your best young players to all the top Prem clubs. We had it before where we had a young goalkeeper and he went to City, he went to Chelsea, he went everywhere, Aston Villa. And all those clubs really were at the table who wanted to buy him. And we knew he wasn't going to stay with us. So we had no problem with him going there and playing games and trying because we knew how good he was. So, you know, that, that hasn't gone away. That's still part of the, the, the system. Um, and, and, and still goes on. Sometimes we'll have a player who's in the first team and they might ask, and go, no, he's in our first team. He's not going to training with you for a week. You can come and watch him every Tuesday and Saturday. If you want him, then you can write your fucking big check. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but if it's a 15-year-old who's playing for our 15s yeah. and him and his family want it to happen, sometimes you can't stop that. And it creates a market. Sure you right? get the, yeah, you got to get the best you can then. You yeah. know? So absolutely. You know? But that, that's football. 
Um, well, let's talk a little bit about some of the results over the weekend. Um, sure, absolutely. You know, your your Liverpool boys got a late, late winner um, to uh, what are you doing? Divar Kariki. Yes. I did jump off the couch. I mean, obviously, I was pretty deflated with Posh, but I taped the Liverpool game. So I watched that straight afterwards and I was getting so frustrated with the chances we were missing. I mean, you know, I think Jota was doing his old club a favour. He missed like two of the best chances you're ever going to It was almost like a Peterborough player in front of goal at the moment. And then obviously Divock comes off the bench, you know, cult status, does the business. Big win because as I said to you, I still think it'll be City and Chelsea. But Chelsea obviously shot the bet on Saturday. West Ham, again, who beat us, you know, beat Chelsea. And then Man City, they, they look like they're not going to lose another game. Um, you know, Liverpool have got no margin for error at the moment. What's your current thinking on Leeds? Uh, Patrick Bamford came in another late last minute uh, equalizer. I was gutted because even though I like Leeds, I have my million quid on Brentford staying up. Mm-hmm. Um, Ivan didn't play because of the vid. And obviously then Bamford scored late. That's four points in two games for Leeds. They've had a lot of injuries, a lot of issues, a lot of stress. And I think you'll see a much better Leeds team in January. And I think I've always said this, as the second half of the season comes and the Leeds of the world start playing teams that are in 11, 12, 13, not going down, not getting into Europe, Leeds will batter them. So I, I, I think Leeds right now, if you were to take a bet in any team in the bottom six, finishing top 10, put your money on Leeds. Uh, and finally, Stevie G uh, doing some magic. I think he's three and four now, isn't he? He got 2-1 against Leicester at the weekend. Up next at Anfield, we need a day off. We need the Stevie G train to stop again like it did against Man City. Um, no doubt about it, terrific manager. Um, he's at a club with deep pockets. It'll be interesting to see what he assesses that he needs. I would imagine if Stevie's clever, it'll be maybe one or two in Jan. And then if he really wants to bring in his own players, it'll be the summer when you do most of it. Because right now, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix you know, why, is it, why fix it? And I think, you know, if they keep the run up as long as Liverpool beat them, but they keep winning... They'll be comfortably in the top eight come February. And uh, yeah, I think uh, that's a club on the up and, and they've got a good manager. Leicester, you worry about. Um, I'm surprised. There's so many good players. I don't know what's going on there. I know he lost his best defender at the start of the season with a broken leg, Fania or whatever. Um, I'd say Brendan's going to have to do a bit of shopping in January. He's definitely got to get them re-going again. But Leicester's one of them that their squad's far too good to be where they are. I think, you know, the one surprise for everyone should be, and the one thing you need to worry about is Antonio Conte when he gets some streaks. Because Spurs right now are one game in hand outside the top four. And Conte is that manager with Chelsea. I think he didn't do well at the start and he won 15 in a row and they won the title. You know, do not be shocked if he pulls that kind of shit off at Spurs. He has that Midas touch for like long runs and streaks. What kind of reception is Steven Gerrard going to get at Anfield? Like, is it going to be strange to see him in the opposite dugout? No, I, no, he'll get a phenomenal one. You'll get, get a great reception. Listen, that guy's God at Anfield. So I think he'll get, listen, as long as there's no shenanigans. I mean, I, you know, it'd be funny if him and Klopp have a big fallout or something goes on in game. So, but uh, I, it'd be interesting because it's Stevie's first return in management. Uh, you know, so listen, I think if we win the game 3-2 and it's exciting and his team play really well, he'll get a, he'll get a serious round of applause. If Villa win because of a contested decision, or whatever else, then it mightn't go so well for him at the end, you know? It's a bit tasty. Yeah, our margin for error now is uh, in this title race with Man City. We, we can't be losing games. And then we go over to um, the championship, and, I mean, Fulham and Bournemouth pretty much walking away with it right now. Are they catchable? I know we're only we're not even halfway through the season yet, but it seems pretty ominous. I think they're catchable. I think um, you want an outside one. I think outside-wise, give me the top seven at the moment. We got Fulham, Bournemouth, West Brom, Blackburn, QPR, Stoke, Coventry, top seven. Blackburn. Blackburn could be the danger one. They've got goal scorers. They're streaky. They've got a very experienced manager. Blackburn and Stoke would be the two ones that could, out of all of those. Stoke, Stoke have got an owner who's still very ambitious. If he decides to, and he's allowed to, as a financial fair play, get them some firepower. And, uh, yeah, I think Stoke could be the one um, because he's definitely got now that defensive solid, solid, you know, solidity at the back. Blackburn and Stoke would be the surprise. But them two at the top look like right now it's their own party. What do you make of Paul Heckenbottom coming into Sheffield United? Really, really strange. Um, I don't know what's going on there. Um, big manager, another big promotion winner. Manager got the chop. I think they just won a game as well, hadn't they, when he got fired or whatever else. It's, um, yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. I don't know who runs the club. 
strange, but who am I to judge? Look, he's obviously done really well with the 23s. He's obviously a terrific coach. He had a brilliant time with Barnsley when he mm-hmm. took over from Lee Johnson and he, he yeah. won the double late on. It was it was it was Lee Johnson's squad that had yeah. lost nine and ten. Um, and then obviously he went to Leeds, he'd, he'd gone elsewhere, it hasn't come off for him. There's no doubt about it, he's a very talented coach. Not sure if he's a top manager, but you know, he's got a hell of a squad there. Somebody's got to get it right at Sheffield United. And and you know, don't listen, that's the kind of team, by the way, that you might laugh at this, but don't be shocked if they went and run and won a lot of games. Any you know, a team like that could win eight, nine, ten in a row. Well, you know, they're closer than we've worked to them most of the season and it's been bottom half. I mean, they're up to tenth uh, because they've had a couple mm-hmm. of wins. So mm-hmm. they're not that far away from the playoffs. No, no, absolutely. Don't discount them. So them and Middlesbrough could be come from, from deep uh, and could go late. So, um, um, again, as you can imagine, I don't spend too much time studying the championship table. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's an interesting one for me. Paul Heckingbottom is ex-Bradford, as is Stuart. Stuart McCall's gone back in there. Yeah, yeah. seen Stuart's uh, number two, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, having left uh, Blackpool to go there. Um it just seems a strange one. That's all. I mean, they've gone. They've gone back to um, local players who know that. Sorry, managers or management team that knows the club. Um, maybe they're trying the Chris Wilder formula again. Maybe, maybe. Um, you, you know, um, you know who knows because they've got a Premier League squad. You know, they've spent a lot of money. They've brought a lot of money back in. They've probably had too many years of spending money. Um, you know, obviously the previous manager they just got rid of. It obviously wasn't working up top. Um, who knows? So it'd be interesting to see. But it's like everything else with the parachute, the premiership money. If you don't come back within the first two seasons, it becomes more and more difficult. So, you know, I, is that them settling for not going back up? Um, you know, some people would say, is it going cheaper? But give Heck and Bottom credit if they if they do get up there and they have a run and he gets them up, well, fair play. Um, now, in League One and League Two, there's not that many uh, games that have gone on. But I was surprised to see Paul Cook getting the chop. Uh, yesterday, or maybe it was Saturday night, then he got the chop. I didn't think that that would happen so quickly at Ipswich. No, I, I, I'm not shocked. You know, that you're getting up to Christmas now, they're 11th. You know, they struggled in a cup on Saturday. It was obviously behind the scenes. Ashton wants them to win the league. He wants them to win promotion. They've spent heavily. They've invested heavily. Um, you know, you know yourself um, how you're playing. Are you looking like winning? Is it too inconsistent? What's going on at the training ground? What are the vibes? I guess only he would know. But obviously, Ashton's, you know, he, he's under pressure. You know, a big group of both that club. They're expecting to get out this year. Um, you know, how far are they away from the top two positions? You know, all those things start coming in. January is coming up. Do you trust him again to go out and spend more money and bring more players in? So, um, yeah, what a job that is for somebody. You know, who would you put in there? I have absolutely no idea. I mean, I thought that Paul Cook would do a good job, but it, it feels like... They spent all this money in the summer, and now it's going to be bringing somebody else in to spend another bunch of money to just replace what they already spent. Or are they going to bring somebody in who's going to, who the expectation is to work with what they've got? Yeah, I mean, I, I think because they brought so many players in in the summer, I don't think it'd be a case of them going out and signing another 10 players. So, you, you know, what do you do? Who do you go after? Who's out of work out there? You know, who, who, do, you, who do you think will actually, you know, who's been fired in the championship? You know, that you think maybe you can drop down and do a job and do well. So, I don't know. You know, it's it's a big club, and they've got deep pockets. And um, you know, any of those clubs, the Sunderland, the Sheffield Wednesday, and Ipswich, if any of them lose their manager, you're going to have some top top managers applying for those jobs. You know, uh, it'd be interesting. You know, could you could you go and 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 attract the John, you know John Terry to that job? Could you attract the I don't know? Could you go and get Wayne Rooney from Derby? He's done really well at Derby, and you know, bring him to Ipswich. Could you be that ambitious? I mean, I I can't speak for them. I don't know what, what what he's thinking, but is that going to attr- is, is it going to be attractive enough though for a manager who ordinarily wouldn't look outside the championship to say, you know what, there's enough of an opportunity there that I'm going to drop down to League One? There's not enough jobs. I've always said this: there's 72 jobs in the football league. I mean, I you know, if you're somebody who's out of work for a period of time, um, how long do you want to wait to get back into work? Um, you, you know, a club like Ipswich, it's it's a dream job. It's an absolute unbelievable job. So I, I don't know. I mean. If my manager, say, for example, if he was out of work and we were speaking still and I had a manager who was doing really well, I'd say to my manager, you've got to be in for that Ipswich job. I mean, yeah, that's a hell of a job. It's one of the biggest clubs, you know, in England uh, as regards to outside the Premier League. You look at their fan base, you look at the size of them, you look at the new wealthy owners. I mean, it's, it's a dream project for somebody. And you look at the squad and think, Jesus, any good manager could go in there and get them going. And as we know in League One, five or six wins on the spin and suddenly you're flying. 
So, you know, that's a hell of a job. So without, you know, knowing the ins and the outs of what happened with Paul Cook, like, why doesn't it work? You know, what are some of the, what are some of the reasons why it just doesn't click? Well, I was one of the people who said when they hired him that that's a guaranteed promotion. So I, I, I can't answer that question. And, um, you know, it's just sometimes it doesn't work for a certain manager of the club. You know, he's gone in there. He's cleared out a lot of dead wood. There are a lot of issues at the start. You know, he was very heavy early on about even when they had a chance of still getting in the playoffs, he was kind of writing them off. Maybe he hasn't endeared himself to maybe the fans. He hasn't endeared himself to the new ownership with maybe some of his stuff going on. You know, but you would look at your team and go, does this look like a team that can put a win of five or six wins together? Does this look like a manager I can trust with another three or four signings in January? Or is this basically a case of actually the players just don't, they're not responding to him. So I've got to make a change here. If we want to go up and have a chance of going up, I've got to do it now. So, you know, again, I, I don't know the answer to that. Some managers are made for clubs, mine for mine, you know, Ainsworth for Wickham. You know, some managers are just like tailor-made for certain football clubs. Uh, and, and you look at it and go, Jesus, why hasn't that worked for Paul Cook? The guy's won promotion from League One, I think, twice. He's won the League Two title. He's been at some big clubs. You know, he won't be out of work for long, that's for sure. But I'm just, I, I, I am surprised. What does it do to his stock, though? Is it still, he's going to be in for the next League One job that's a good job? Uh, I think so. I think so. I think so. He did a great job at Wigan. You know, he did well with Pompey. You know, he's had a shitty run at Ipswich. I mean, they're not bottom of the league. He just, you know, it hasn't come off. Um, he's a multiple promotion winner. I think he's still got another, at least one or two more good jobs in him. So it'd be, it'd be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, Charlie Wyke, I want to talk about. He obviously, um, you know, had a had his arrest in training. Yeah. Um, but was uh, obviously very fortunate that folks around his him manager. Yeah, his manager, like yeah. unbelievable. I mean, my God, poor guy. I mean, I don't want to see any player, you know, go through that. And I know there was all the usual conspiracy shite about the vaccine. Right. And like he had to come out and specifically say it, didn't he? he? It, yeah, he came out and obviously it was a bit like the Ericsson thing. And he came out and he said, well, look, we all know the vaccine works, but we also all know that there has been side effects. But the whole thing about, well, footballers, I'm not buying that. Someone said to me the other day, actually, because it's happened to quite a few footballers, they were saying, is there something to do with the caffeine uh, things they take? A lot of footballers now, and I'm not trying to start a conspiracy here, a lot of footballers take like these caffeine um, tablets and caffeine things to give them a, a hit, you know what I mean, and, and whatever, in-game, in training, an energy boost and whatever else. And, you know, you have to look at, this wasn't happening 10 years ago. So well, what's changed in the sports science of football? What's changed in training? Charlie White's been a fit guy all his career. Mm-hmm. You know, what? What you know? and is he going to come back and play again? I mean, I hope this isn't the end of his career. I mean... You know, they said he was dead for a while, didn't they, or whatever else. He was actually like... I didn't see that. Oh. Yeah, I mean, I hope I haven't got that wrong. But, I mean, uh, well, listen, we wish him nothing but the best. I mean, uh, that's fucking horrendous. You know, what's happened? But thank God his manager knew what to do. Thank God the staff were, like, on site, like, straight away and able to... I mean, uh, top class to them for the job they did. Wow. Now, are there things that you can do on the training field to, you know, like, train players in recovery process, train staff? Uh, I don't know, Phil. I, 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 I don't know because touch wood, I've, I've never seen it happen. I've, I've, you know, I mean, have we had players with heart murmurs and things you look at in scans and medicals? Of course, you make decisions on that. You know, not everyone's perfectly healthy. The human body's strange, you know. Did anyone think Christian Eriksen was going to die in the pitch at the Euros? That, you know, we've, we've had a few players this season. There was a player I've just seen on Twitter as I was coming live on this podcast, Marvelous Marvin Morgan ex-striker from non-league who's, who's died at 38 over the weekend god bless me what on earth i've no idea what that was from by the way but you know nobody should be losing their life in, the, in their 30s and no sports person or athlete should be you know certain you know we we were all i remember back in the, the height of covid when it started and we shut down our game and i was the one out there saying no one's going to die of covid you know from playing sports because i'd spoke to so many doctors about being out in the open air how respiratory viruses work and the best thing for athletes is to be pumping their lungs out there, you know, playing football. Um, to suddenly be here 18 months later and we're, we're nearly losing people, not to COVID, but to actually heart issues and whatever else. It's No, it's not nice. So all I can say there is, thank fuck we've come to a stage where a manager knows how to produce CPR and knows how to help. Yeah, I don't know if they I don't know if they had to use a defibrillator if that was at the ground or whatever, but Christ almighty, I, I would hate to take a phone call about one of our players is, is, is basically like gone down like that at the training ground. That's terrible. So praying for Charlie. Hope he's good. 
and and thoughts with, with Mar- Marvin Morgan's family. You know what I mean? He obviously lost his life at 38 this weekend, which is just fucking horrendous. But the last thing that I do want to talk about, which is, well, it's not related, obviously, to Charlie, but it's about health and it's around vaccinations. We talked about vaccinations. Um, Premier League clubs reportedly want to add fully vaccinated contract clauses into contracts. I mean, I imagine that's not something that that you stand for. Is that unethical? Is it illegal? I mean, I'll tell you what they need in the Premier League. They they, they need Ron DeSantis in there. That's what they need because he'll 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 beat down that mandate like he did with Biden's mandate. So uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm seeing pictures today of um, health workers go back to work in Florida who lost their jobs like four weeks ago because of Sleepy Joe's uh, vaccine mandate. And obviously, Ron went to court and won the right so that they don't actually have to have it. You know, so these people now who fought for us and worked for us during the pandemic are now back at work. Um, just so everyone knows where I am. I'm vaccinated. You're vaccinated. I I want people, certainly at a certain age group, to be vaccinated. Um, the only reason I thought for players to be vaccinated was to stop them missing game time. I was never worried about their health. And everyone who's vaccinated should stop stressing about mandates because if your vaccine works, why are you worried about people without COVID or without the vaccine? So um, the way I look at it is this. I hate things like that. You know, I've, I've always said this. If, they, if, if Boris Johnson wakes up tomorrow and puts a mandate in, that for people to come to our games, they need to be vaccinated and all. And we start going into that two-tier society. I don't be involved in football. I didn't go to Swansea because they insisted on a vaccine mandate or a passport. I, I, I'm not going to Germany, Austria, Australia. These are places I will never visit again in my lifetime because of what they've done. You know, they've made it a two-tier society. They've treated people like lepers who aren't vaccinated. I'm seeing people I follow on social media who I'm unfollowing because they seriously want to treat unvaccinated people like the scum of the earth. They don't want them getting treated at hospital. They don't want them having the same privilege as me and you do for a vaccine that there's 0.2% chance of those age groups dying. It's, 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 it's outrageous what's happened in our lifetime. Um, and I, if the Premier League are bringing that into contracts, more shame on them. And I hope a lot of players get like a top-tier lawyer, and I know one if they want their name and number, to go and beat that down in court. It feels like it's not going to fly. Our governor here is beating down the president of America in court. So if he can do that, I'm sure the Premier League players can do that and knock that nonsense out. I know the NFL have tried it all. I know a few of their players have faked some vaccine passports, haven't they, to, to get in and play and they've been found out. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you know. So, so uh, you know what? We're, we, all have, um, we all have COVID. Uh, what's the right word for it? Tiredness, where we're all fatigued. Yeah, fatigue. COVID fatigue. Right. I think I think you know we're all you know the, the the news and the media aren't because of the three hundred million they're all earning every year from from the government advertising it. So they're just going to keep putting out every bit of panic and Christmas is cancelled. We're all done with it. Like I'm traveling next week. I've now just been told I'm now forty eight hours to do a PCR, no longer seventy two hours to go into England. And then obviously gobshite Biden has put in a twenty four hour one for when we travel back to America, which is near on impossible. So it's just it, it, we're COVID fatigued. There are things I have to do now. It's tougher to do now than 20 months ago when this pandemic was rife, where I could, I could travel and it was easier to travel. It was easier. Now it's even more difficult and I'm vaccinated. So it's just, we're, we're all fatigued by it. I'm, I'm sure even you, and I'm sure in your house, you've got Fauci stickers up. I'm sure even you guys sometimes turn it off when he's on TV now. Everyone's just fed up fucking listening to everything. Well, we just don't listen to it, you know, and so my folks are coming here to the States from England in a week or so. Brilliant. And, you know, and it takes hours to figure out exactly what they're supposed to do and what they're, how long they've got and which it changes and where to go. It right. changes. And when you figure it, it out the next day, it's like, well, now it's 24 hours, not 72 hours. Yeah. Well, it's from, I think I want to say it's from, is it the, the, the end of December? It's 24 hours um, to get in or you tell me. Yeah. I think that for them to get in next week, they've got to do 24 hours. Um, so, and you know, in rural North Yorkshire, there's not a ton of places where you can go to get a 24 hour PCR test or, you know, rapid PCR test. I've had Liz, the, my football secretary running around trying to book appointments for Natalie and the kids when they come home, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we found somewhere on New Year's day to do it. And then you're still relying on them getting you the results to, that night for them to fly the next day. And all, you, all you're doing is you're encouraging people to falsify documents. You're encouraging people to take risks. It's, it's just, it's, it's so... It's ridiculous. The 72-hour thing was working. What's the problem here? You know, it's a bit like shutting out six African countries that have got nothing to do with the one African country that did have that Omicron virus. You know, there's no... And when the question's asked, there's no logic. They don't have an answer. 
It's just like some fucking moron with a pencil has decided that's how we do it. And and none of it makes sense. And it's cost me, I was 600 quid for them to do this 24-hour PCR test. You know, everyone's making a fortune. Natalie actually said the other day, it's, it's you know, they're all making a fortune. It's a racket. You know, and it's, it, it's a racket and it's going to keep going until yeah. we stop it. And I keep looking at all the, my friends in Ireland, I saw the other day, they shut down all nightclubs till the 7th of January. Right. Do you know how much? Do you know how much of your turnover in the mm-hmm. entertainment oh, industry comes from December? Yeah. So that country I was born in, which I'm horrified at what they've done to their to their residents, has now basically again killed their nighttime and hospitality industry, and they don't give a shit. And there's two ways of doing it: you either vote these morons out, and in England you've got a problem because if you vote Johnson out, you've got that fucking Labour leader who's probably worse on lockdowns. So there is no alternative. Um, here we got to wait another three years to get rid of the relic. Um, so, but we're lucky we have a governor that keeps everything open for us. But you look at Ireland; you got two choices: you vote someone out, or you 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 topple governments. And nobody wants to encourage toppling a government. But when you see some, when I saw a video yesterday from Australia, and they showed one of these camps where they put people in, and the guy was on his the guy was on his terrace, and there's all like wiring mesh around between these little houses, and these doctors come over. I mean, this guy's like 27. And they're telling them the rules. You can't go past that line. And your food will be delivered at this time during the day. And I'm, you see the video around the camp, Phil. There's barbed wire. It's like it's, a prison you know, camp. I mean, it's, sounds of it. Uh, it, it, this shit's scary. Uh, and what's scary is it's allowed to happen. And it's happening in democratic places where you just, democracy is right, but it's not democracy. So sorry to get political and everyone listening. You know, I think we're at the stage where we have to do what's right for us and we have to look after each other, ourselves. And we have to make those choices individually. And we have to stop telling people what to put in their body, what not to put in their body. You do you, I'll do me. Uh, and and you know what? If the vaccine works like they keep telling us it will, and we, we know you still get COVID, but it stops hospitalization, great. I'll get the vaccine, you get the vaccine. And if John B next to me doesn't want to get it, that's his fucking problem. You know? But the idea that I'm going to treat him any different than I treat him on a, on a Monday, on a Wednesday because of a COVID virus, I'm not. So, And if you're one of those people who, who does want to have a two-tier society, I pity you, and may you burn in fucking hell. <laughs> well, on that happy note, <laughs> uh, I do want to take a couple of questions. Um, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. So, Q and A, baby. Q and A. Yeah. So James on Twitter, James is a Huddersfield fan. He says our chairman's businesses have all gone into administration. Our ex-chairman has a twenty-five percent share, and he's now paying all the bills. And I have to say, that was always a really strange takeover at Huddersfield a couple of years ago. I saw Dino. I saw Dino at our game. Dean Hoyle. I really, really like Dean Hoyle. I still think he, uh, I don't want to get in trouble here. I think he still runs the whole club now. So, yeah, I, I, I didn't understand. I have an idea of what happened before. I'm not going to try and put suspicions on things or whatever. Um, he's given this guy a fair shake to come and take it over and, and do whatever else. If, if Dean's behind the scenes still, that's good news for Huddersfield fans because he's a phenomenal owner. So, uh, and his family love that football club. So I don't think anything's, if the, if the question the fan is asking, is the club in trouble? My answer would be no. Yeah. And I guess also is, does it decrease the value of the club given that buyers know the, the financial situation of the owner? I, I, no, no, no. I, I think Huddersfield is in good shape. I, I, you know, I don't think they've overspent. I think they used their parachute money well. They're a well-supported club. Dean's still part of the furniture and he still obviously has shares in the club. He's a very wealthy man. Um, I, I don't think there's any trouble at Huddersfield. I don't think a Huddersfield fan needs to wake up and think that Derby County's coming. No way. Dean Hall has never, ever run it like that. So um, does it devalue a club if people think the owner's in the shit financially? Of course, people are going to take the mick. But there's no devaluation of you of a price. If I want 50 million for Huddersfield or 100 million for Huddersfield, and I'm wealthy enough to keep saying no to people who try and take the piss, there you go. That's, that's the way it goes. So, so... I, would, I wouldn't be losing sleep if I was a Huddersfield fan. Now, what's a Huddersfield worth on the open market? You know, take away, you know, what 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 someone's willing to sell at. It's really difficult because I, I don't know the stadium situation. I don't know the debt situation. I don't know all the things involved. Um, you know, it, it's a club with, a, with mass potential. You know, they've been in the Premier League. I, I, I couldn't put a figure on it. You know, they're, they're worth a lot more than what Dean paid for it when he took them in League One, that's for sure. Many, many millions more. Um, so, but I, you know, and they've not done too badly this season. Um, so I, I, I think, you know, fans, you know, sometimes we worry about things we don't need to worry about. 
Um, yeah, they're not doing as much as it pains me as a Bradford fan. They're doing pretty well this year. They're doing better than they've done the last couple of years. And they've got uh, an ex-Loney that we had, Lewis O'Brien, who was the only bright spark in a terrible team that we had who's doing really well there. So, you know, I'm <laughs> really pleased with him that he's doing well because he was yeah. a great player for us on loan. Good player. We have a question from Steve on email. Uh, it seems to me that years ago, players had to have two or three good years in the championship before getting a move to the Premier League. Now it's more like a good six months. You know, why is that? I think it's a couple of things. It's age. You know, if a 20-year-old has a good six months, he goes for a lot of money. If a 29-year-old has a good six months, he's not going for a lot of money to the to the Premier League. He would need to have two or three good years. I think it might be an age thing that's changed. And I think also the Premier League look at young English players that are doing well in the champ and think, well, if you're in that bracket on the 24, you've got massive improvement in you still. And if you're doing well in the champ for six months, you can definitely step up and do well in the Prem. So that's what happens. Do you know what I mean? So it, there's no there's no secret. You know, Premier League clubs want good young players. And of course, they'll buy them from League One if they're doing, but the champ is such a great league. You know, if you Ronnie Edwards is doing brilliant in the championship for a struggling Peterborough side, you know, Man City, Chelsea, you know, a, a big club is going to go, well, fuck, if he's doing well for them and they're playing crap and they're down the bottom, not winning. Imagine how well he'll do in our whole system. Imagine what kind of player he'd be at 21 for a top six club in the Prem. So it, for them, spending millions on a player like that is an investment easily made, you know? So that's just the, that's, that's the market. But we'll see. We'll see what happens in January in the summer in the transfer market and see if this football recession is over that I've spoken about for the last like eight, nine months. Now, when a player like Ronnie Edwards, for example, would, is recruited by a Premier League team from Championship, is he recruited to go, you know, into the squad or is he recruited to go into the under-23s and then to continue to nurture? He, no, he's, he's recruited like a, a Chelsea or a Man City would buy a player like that and then put him back out on loan for 18 months, whether it be to Peterborough, whether it be to a bigger club in the champ. That's what they'll do. You know, they, they, will, they will want him to play. And playing in the under-23s in the Premier League Cup and the Premier League is not going to help a player like him. Um, so he wouldn't look at a place in the top team anyway, even in 18. But if they wanted, they say, look, we want to get him 50 games. So I would say to any of those clubs, if they were buying him for me, leave him with us. Leave him with us for 18 months. He's going to play every week. He's going to play 50, 60 games. You get him back, you know, just before his 20th birthday and he's ready to go. You know, so so that that that's... That's the real uh, value for a Prem club is, is can we own that player before every other club in the world wants him? Can we get an extra 50 games into him? And by the way, he'll still train with them in the summer. He'll probably still go back and train once a week with the main manager of that club. You know, so you, you're, getting, you're getting all the good bits there. You know, we, we've got a couple of youngsters that we wouldn't mind doing that with ourselves, getting out on low and lower down. You know, and obviously still we, we keep an eye on them. They still play for us in midweek when they're not playing for that club but they're going out and getting games. And that's just sometimes what they need. So absolutely. And, you know, that's it's the way of the future. It's going to be a lot more of that happening there, you know. Um, the last question I have is from Jamie on email. Uh, Jamie says, I'm just wondering what Dara thinks about the pending takeover of Hull City. Uh, possible final ending to the Alam saga. However, the, uh, the person, the buyer, who is from Turkey, seems to want to bring Turkey to England. Is this a disaster waiting to happen? With such a, and I guess he says a slim line, but it's such a, a focused view, I guess, on recruitment and only looking to one region. Yeah, tough that is. Um, it, it has it doesn't have good things written on it when you see it like that. You know, it's, well, I want to bring all Turkey players. It's like me buying and going, I want to bring all Irish players over. You know, whatever else. So um, let's hope the owner. You know, obviously it's time for the Allens to go, and, and the fans want that to happen. So you want to hope for a couple of things. You want to hope that they replicate the Alums in a way that they pay their wages on time, they pay their bills on time. So that's the one thing the Alums have always done. They've run it really well financially. You want to make sure that they've got good people around them, you know, and they've got people with knowledge of the game. I hope they, you know, keep Brandt because obviously he's done really well for them. So, you know, I hate for them to, to change that um, because I'm fond of him. Um, so I, I don't know the answer to the question. I understand the fears. I understand that you think, shit, we're going to have like 10 out of the 20-man squad is going to be Turkish on the 19s, on the 20s. And, you know, you'd read recently in the last few years about the ex-Forest owner bringing foreign players in, you know, that didn't do well. And they were arriving at the training ground and the manager was kind of looking at them going, fuck me, they're not good enough for this level. And you, you've heard about things like that happen before. The champ's not really that level. You can trial test players from a certain country. You might get away. I mean, even in League Two, you've got the guy at Oldham who was playing like that kind of game, bringing lots of French and Algerian players in. 
and it was fucking ludicrous. And and at that level, it wasn't working. So you think it's going to work at the champ level? Yeah, we yeah, had it yeah. with, with uh, Edin Rahik when he was bringing in Germans as well that came in and they looked like they were probably not better quality than a good team. Yeah, so you had a few Hermans come through the door. I mean, you know, from the fifth division probably in Germany. And if they weren't doing it, you know what I mean? So, yeah, it, it's, I understand the apprehension. I understand it's a bit of a, um, what's the right word of saying? You know, on one hand, you're really happy you're getting new owners. Yeah. And then on the other hand, the apprehension is, what you oh, shit, you know. We, right, are we going, yeah, from the melting pot to the fire? You know, what, mm. what's going on here? You know what I mean? So, but I think, you know, Hull will be fine. You know, it's, it's a well-run football club. And, well, I don't know what's taking so long because that was nearly out six weeks ago. I know, ago, it feels like it was a long time so, ago it was announced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, I, I guess it must be a lot of due diligence going on. But from what I know about the Adams, they're, they're, everything available for due diligence is in great shape. So that, that should be a quick takeover. Um, you know, it shouldn't, it shouldn't take that long. Maybe the price went up a little bit now that they've uh, got a couple of wins. No, I think when you do a deal and it's in writing and then you get a period of due diligence, the price is locked in. You know, you agree a deal, you agree an MOU, you agree, you know, you start getting the share purchase agreement drawn up and and you have a period of time where it's all frozen, the price you pay a deposit, then you do your due diligence. The due diligence is all subject to, your deal subject to the due diligence coming through. So, so you know, I don't know. That's an interesting one, you know. I presume the whole press are on that and they'll know more than we will. All right. Well, let's call it time for another podcast. Thank you as ever, Dara. Cool. Absolutely, Philip. Um, we were, are here for questions as always. Uh, contact at hardtruthfootball.com. Um, until next week, we will talk to you all again soon. And fingers, po- fingers crossed for three points this week. We could all do with it, yeah? <laughs> take yeah. care, everyone. <laughs> all right. Take care, everyone.